you are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Ouch! This episode of Rootbound is brought to you by the genus Cacti. Watch out, they're pointy. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm your host, Steve. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and in each episode, I invite a guest who shares with me about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process, we all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, before we meet our guest today, I want to talk about forests or maybe more specifically, old-growth forests, or maybe more accurately, the term primary forest. Both the guest and I today talk about plants that are are related to this concept of a primary forest, and I thought I would discuss that a little bit today. Now, the term old-growth forest is one I think is more commonly heard. It's, you know, that's a forest that has been growing for a long time. So there is this term that is primary forest or secondary forest. And I found this really great article um, on globalforestwatch.org, really cool organization, by the way, um, that's called What Are Primary Forests and Why Should We Protect Them? And it's by Sarah Ruiz. And this talks about this, this concept of a primary forest. And kind of, in some, a primary forest is a forest that has, has reached uh, what is called uh, the stage of climax community. So it has all of the communities, all the plants and animals in it that are operating in this harmonious way that makes it a primary forest. And different kinds of forests can take different times to get to that state. Some are much faster and some are much, 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 much slower. So the term old growth forest is pretty relative depending on the kind of forest you're talking about. But most of the forests, at least in in the country I live in, the United States, most forests you might see just, you know, driving down the road are probably secondary forests, meaning that they have been completely, uh, uh, you know, uh, disrupted at some point, most likely by human activity, but it could be natural things like fires. And now they're starting to grow back. And often those forests aren't as biodiversity, biologically or biodiversity complete as they would be in their final stage. And I think one issue, you know, that we have in, at least in this country and many other countries in the world is, is, is we don't allow forests to get there anymore. We, we keep cutting them down faster. The, the, uh, faster than they can become a primary forest. And one really interesting example I thought is, you know, I think there's places in, in this country where you can be walking through a forest, and maybe if you haven't spent a lot of time in things that are called primary forests, you might say, oh, this is a forest, but it's actually a plantation. We have so much plantation forests in the United States, and, and those are, are not a primary forest. They are, are essentially a farm. Um, and you may feel like a forest because there's very tall trees around you, but as far as the life that those forest support is minimal compared to that of a primary forest. Primary forests don't just have one species of tree. They have many species of trees and bushes and plants and animals. And the biodiversity is just through the roof. And so, you know, think about that next time you see a forest. Take a look at it. You know, have you been in a primary forest? Um, Are you not sure? Seek one out. It is pretty amazing to stand inside a primary forest. And I think our guest on this episode will agree. This forest is old. 
very old. Full of memory. Hello, Ben. Welcome to Rootbound. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yeah. Uh, I have a plant called Herb Paris. Herb Paris. Paris, Paris quadrifolia. Uh, Paris quadrifolia. That's very interesting. I have never heard of this plant before. No. Um. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not in the US, in, in North America. So Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, great. Uh, uh, yeah, please tell me tell me all about it. Why why did you choose it first of all? Why is it yeah, meaningful to you? Yeah, the reason why the plant is important to me is because it indicates a lot of older forests. Uh, it can be found in like damp woodlands, often in a shadier area, uh, where it's very more typical of nutrient rich chalky soils. And generally, it's a very nice habitat to like be in because it's. It's as I'm from the. I live in north of Sweden. Uh, ah. I, I we often have more conifer forests, uh, so the shiduses forests are the main habitat with, for this plant. So I like I like this kind of. It's a bit uh, like uh, exotic for me. <laughs> Very uh, interesting. So yeah, yeah that that's. Fa- I've never been to Sweden. I did live in Europe for a while, but I never mm. made my way up there. Um, I lived in Switzerland, which is the place that all Americans always confuse for Sweden. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I've never been yeah. to Sweden for, for some reason. Um, but so yeah, my thinking of the forest up there is definitely coniferous. Um, yeah. Do you have deciduous forests in Sweden? Yes, that might be uh, a have, dumb question. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have like some uh, often in you can see a quite big change if you go since we it's a rather. A long country uh, so right. when you go from the south up to north the north is a bit uh, uh it's a it's a big big part of sweden but like mm-hmm. where where i'm from hanusand normally uh, that's where generally the north starts i would say so you have there it's often you can see the variation of more we have still some 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 deciduous forests there, uh, but they are very like uh, not so much. But more like down in near Stockholm, there is more deciduous forests, and even down more to uh, in the south, close to Copenhagen, uh, Denmark, you have a lot of like uh, yeah, uh, more deciduous forests. Fascinating. Uh, okay, one more question before we get to your plan about forests. Yeah, there. what is the predominant species in a deciduous forest in Sweden? Wow, good good question. Uh, it would be like generally like a lot a lot of birch trees and uh, a lot of willow. Uh, I would say um, interesting, very cool. Anyway, uh, that a little off yeah, topic. Let's uh, talk about let's talk about Paris quadrifolia or the herb yeah. <laughs> Paris. Yeah, uh, it's in Swedish. It's called Urmbär, uh, and that translates to snakeberry. So, oh, cool! And it's back in the days in Sweden. Uh, it has a lot of common names, uh, but this is the accepted name. Uh, and in back in Sweden, we had a lot of superstition. Uh, so, I, I think the name is something that the it, the the plant has been treated as ah oh, something dangerous, and it's it is poisonous. Uh, but it's it's been like very. It's found in a shady area and it's a bit mysterious. So people have generally back in the days been treated as, oh, this is something you should not. Uh, it, it's very like, ah, oh, not not nice. Uh, but I think it's a really, very wonderful plant. It's a very lovely flower uh, too. Uh, very, it's, <laughs> to me, it, when I first found it, 
I, I I thought like what is what is this? Is this some kind of alien or something? Because the the petals and the stamens are like twisted in a different way. Uh, it's it's really really fascinating. Interesting. I just googled it. And I'm looking at it. And you're right. It has. I mean, it, th- those. Well, you said it's Paris quadrifolia, which means four leaves, and those those four leaves are very yeah. prominent in a very interesting mm. way. And yes, that flower is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, can you take me back before we get to some f- fun facts and details? Can you take me back to that moment where you were? Where Where were you when you first saw it? What were you doing out there? Yeah. Um, I I just started getting. I I was just going out in outside in my like local area where I live, uh, uh, where I'm from, Hernesand, which is t- like two hours from Umeå. Uh, and I was I was just starting out botanizing for like, it was have been one month or something like that. I, I, I was walking around and I saw a lot of, you know, blueberries and the, the common stuff. And then something pops up and I, I, I became... I, I should have seen this before because it's there were a lot they were they were growing like a lot of them. So I found a lot of plants of of this strange alien looking <laughs> type plant. Uh, and I normally when I try to identify plants, I like to use a a key. Uh, so so you like you you ask different type of questions in a like questionnaire. Is this plant grows there or does it have this kind? Of leaves or is this flower like this uh, and then you can come out ah oh, it's this flower cool are you doing that is that a, is that like a website or a book you're using or how are you i'm using a, a book uh, the swedish uh, field guide for flora oh cool yeah it's and there, there are different types of versions but i think this is the best beginner friendly because there's there is one which is more heavy like w- with very very dif- different uh, like yeah, terminology and yeah it's uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah so I know. This... I'm, I'm trying to learn that kind of botany terminology myself and something yeah it's quite confusing yeah <laughs> yeah so i got it i, I took it home and I, I photographed it because i also i like to i, I use iNaturalist too mm, yes uh just to get uh get it confirmed that i found it but i like to key it out first to be sure and learn something about the different uh, the parts of the plant and morphology. So you were like in the field with the book and you were like, yeah. okay, I, I have identified it using, yeah. using this book. Exactly. <laughs> it's, cool. it's, it's something I can really recommend. I, I'm sure that you have uh, some similar kind in US. That's, it's, a, it's, it's a really nice hobby just to be out in the field and <laughs> talk to yourself. Is it this plant or is it, you know, use your hand lens and it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I love it. It's, it's really nice. You know uh, what? I, I should do that more. I have a couple field guides like that. I, I take the, the, sh- the modern shortcut too often, which there's a couple apps that use mm. an AI to yeah. identify plants and they're actually amazingly good. Sometimes yeah. they're not right. And I have to learn. Yeah. The app is wrong, but I think that is a good challenge to do it the old school way. I should try that. Yeah, I mean, they they complement each other very good because you can you can like look in the floor floor in the field guide too, then and they read more and yeah. So I think it's both of them are good in different ways. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Well, well, that, yeah, that's cool. So, and then you after you found the plant, like, what made you fascinated with it? Uh, you know, after you, yeah, the, the fact that also. Later, in like when it got the fruit, 
uh, when I got the fruit. Uh, the, it was like one single berry, and it looks very similar to blueberry. Uh, and we have yeah. we have a lot of blueberries in Sweden. Uh, so and and then I read that it's poisonous too. So I was like a bit. <laughs> bit shocked too <laughs> about it uh it's 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 normally it gives stomach ache like but uh i i wouldn't recommend uh <laughs> trying it uh interesting i i saw that in the picture too of this very fascinating this one plant that just has one yeah. little berry is yeah. pretty fascinating yeah it, it had been used like back back in the middle ages for example i, I saw uh, as a, they they made the use into to vine, uh, oh. and 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 it, it, they they believe that it was used as a aphrodisiac. Wow! Uh, but I'm not sure if stomach aches is something to be. Yeah, yeah, it's very strange. Wow, uh, that's fascinating. It take a lot of collecting to make yeah. enough wine, one plant yeah. at a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Um, very interesting. Well, yeah, let, let, let's get into some other fun facts and dazzling details. Like what can you tell us about this plant? Yeah, it, uh, it was also used, uh, to, uh, to, against, uh, rabies also in the, pa- in the past, whoa, uh, whoa. because it has some type of narcotic effect. It said, had been said also to treat like different eye conditions, which seem to work still, but I'm, I'm, I'm not so good with like medicinal plants generally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do always like to give disclaimers to the audience, you know, yeah. uh, uh, we're not, we're not recommending any of this stuff. No, 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 no. But, but <laughs> no. The, the historic uses is always interesting. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. Who, you know, there, all these things likely have these properties is just like, how can you, how could you do that safely in a modern way is, is mm. always a, a tough question. So I try to, to like make sure that context is clear for for the listeners. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I I was I was been the the also something that I found out because I was looking into this from a conservation standpoint because first when I found it like yeah as I said two years ago I was just just I didn't know so much about how you can preserve and uh, different how different species are threatened. Uh, so. It's 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 as I said, it's a common plant, uh, but according to the Swedish Forest Agency, it's a indicator to high nit- nature values in Sweden. Like a plant indicator can indicate they're they're not like on the red list. Uh, I will get to that later, but they are practically good for useful for locating and distinguishing areas with high nature values. Uh, so so. It, it, it it's it's a good indicator so if you find it you can often find other species or uh, other organisms which are even threatened or, or something like that so it's it's a it's a good uh, mark that or shows areas that are maybe in decline uh, on iceland for example this species is actually threatened uh, oh wow and they they there there are some uh, clues on on what it can be but it's it's not really yeah it's very unsure there are a, a, lot, a lot of different factors as with nature it's very complex mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so I, I i contacted the in sweden we have the, the similar red list the, the the and i contacted the expert on vascular plants uh, sebastian sundberg 
And he said that it's it's stable here in in most part of Sweden, but actually in the south in the south where I said earlier we have a lot of deciduous forests, it's in decline, uh, and there the reason is unknown. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, and that could be something to like look into more in the future why that is happening. And according to I looked up at at the like. International Union of Conservation of Nature's Red List of Threatened Species. <laughs> Long word. <laughs> I, yes, yes. I-U-C-N. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, and and the, some potential threats that are to, to them are uh, invasive species, for example, as uh, as uh, this this plant is a like slow colonizer, so it takes mm-hmm. time for it to, to grow. Uh, and other species can like outgrow it and then we also have some some big problem we have here in Sweden as you might know or heard of a forest the forestry agenda in in Sweden uh, it's it's really really bad uh, yeah really. that's that's mainly for for like uh spruce or, or pine yeah. Right? yeah yeah and and the the thing is that we it it it, it creates uh, like a monoculture, it, like a, mm. a, a a tree a tree plant a plantage, like in the Amazons. But it's it doesn't speak so much about it here in Sweden. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's really interesting. And so, is that a, a situation where there's like forests, uh, deciduous forests that have been replaced by these uh, monoculture? Yeah, pine yeah, forests? yeah. Uh, a lot of very nice uh, deciduous forests, or like you can say mixed forests, which has both some some conifer trees and some some uh, yeah deciduous trees. A lot of uh, fine forests have been cut down. Like if I remember correctly, like ninety percent of the forests in Sweden are. Uh, like uh, a lot of they're, they're not natural forests like old oh, wow. forests um, so it's it's a bit depressing but it, it's yeah. something to work work for as well yeah uh, so that's interesting i wonder I, you know just this is some logic and this is might just be assumptions but i'm thinking of uh if you want to grow trees you're probably better off growing further south in sweden than you are further north is that would that be correct if you're trying to do plantation uh yeah uh i, I would say so although we have Close to where I live, there there is a arboretum. Uh, I haven't been there where they have somehow managed to get some very uh, different kind of uh, species of trees. Hmm. Uh, but I would say generally, the, the from the speaking from a zone area, uh, so it, it, it's easier to plant uh, different uh, like. Yeah, mixed forests in in the south. Yes. Yeah, they grow better with the more light and I guess the yeah. slightly warmer temperatures. Exactly. Exactly. Um, longer growing season. So I, I guess you know, going back to your your herb, uh, Paris. Uh, yeah. You would imagine you know places where it's threatened is also a place where probably the driver to grow more plantation trees is also there in the same areas. Yes. Exactly. Uh, that's something because. Yeah, it's it's very complex because we we manufacture a lot of paper in Sweden and we export a lot. So, but also as we know, biodiversity is so important for yeah for the whole planet and for the the, the species wise. I, and I like to like think of like not always think of what does this species do to me it, it's it's for me it's it, it doesn't matter I, I just like seeing them 
for what they are and and like mm. that's why also like common species not always threatened species because uh, as i said these species could be in decline in the future so it's important to also look for to look at these plants and see what what kind of areas they grow in and what, why they should be protected you'll always have paris well very very good thank you for sharing about the herb paris with me uh thank do you mind you. if i share a plant with you absolutely i'm looking forward to here okay so um when i was talking about the when you mentioned forests in sweden the one mm. thing i was trying to probe for a little bit but i didn't want to like get into it right then is uh and i'm going to kind of go off at a different angle here but i'm just curious what's the situation with oak trees in sweden are there oak trees in sweden that's also yes like dumb yes <laughs> uh no uh we have oak uh not so much in in the north in where i live but although i have found some some spe- some oak oak some weary <laughs> is, uh small oak plants in in forests uh where they are believed to be have been spread by a bird i don't remember correctly what kind of kind of bird fascinating but, uh and it's uh, the the normal oak quercus robur and that's the common oak in 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 uh, sweden uh yeah cool uh, that, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I just never thought about that. It's just, you know, you have this image of Sweden and you think about coniferous forests and, you know, I like mm. when you were talking about like timber, if I go to Home Depot, which is our big do-it-yourself store here, mm. uh, there's a whole section that's just full of Swedish timber. So mm. sorry. Mm. <laughs> sorry for that. Uh, yeah. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a long, it, it's been a long time of, of harvesting forests. So it's, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so the plant I chose is also an oak. Hmm. Um, and before I get into it, I, I, I this is not going to be the oak episode. I've realized I have at least three or four other oaks that I probably could have hmm. explained why they're meaningful to me because they're such interesting trees and, you know, each one. So I could just do an oak episode, but this is going to be about a specific oak, but just a little bit of general oak stuff for the audience. And I'm sure you know this stuff, but hmm. uh, you mentioned already the the uh, the genus name is Quercus, which I always thought is a fun I think yeah. that's a great word. Yeah. I, I wanted to look up what that meant. And I guess it is, it's from like a proto Latin language that just means oak. It's, yeah. It's the, yeah. Hmm. Which is cool. What, what's the word for uh, oak in Swedish? Eak. 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 Okay. I, there's probably some, maybe there's some etymology. Well, maybe not. I was wondering if there's any etymological link to Quercus in that, but maybe not. Hmm. Not uh, really sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, but then this, uh, so a couple more just general oak facts. There are over 500 species of oak in the world. Wow. But nearly half of those are in North America, which I mm. thought was really fascinating. Hmm. And, and, and in Mexico alone, there are 109 endemic species of oak. Wow. Which I thought was super fascinating. Wow. Um, but my oak is, is none of those. In fact, my oak is the most common oak in uh, North America, or at least mm. in the United States, actually. Mm. Um, and it is Quercus alba, or white oak. White oak, okay. Yeah, and this is this is the this is the most uh, one of the most common trees in the eastern half of the United States. Um, Wikipedia says it quote It is one of the preeminent hardwoods of the eastern and central North America. And so, if you go to any uh, deciduous forest anywhere kind of in the eastern part of the united states you will see lots of white oak and i live in northern virginia and it's it's definitely everywhere hmm. very big tree wow. just you know for me it's it's the classic oak tree uh when when 
you know, for someone, I think it might look a little different for you, but for, for over here, it's, that's mm. like the oak, white oak. Um, red oak is also about as common. And then there's a bunch of other kinds of oaks of, hmm. you know, uh, I, I read uh, at least 90 species in the U.S. alone. Um, but, 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 uh, yeah, Quercus alba or white oak is the most common. Okay. It is called white oak, not because of anything of how the tree looks, but the wood is quite, uh, ah, not okay. really white, but very light color wood. And so it is a very, uh, a very common lumber species as well for hardwood lumber. And is there uh, like a reason for why it's, is it some uh, chemistry behind it or is it just... Uh... That's a good question. I'm not sure why the wood is lighter than other oaks. Um, you know, and it's not a huge difference. If you put a piece of red oak and a white oak next to each other, mm. like you're not going to be like, that's red and that's white. Mm. It's just mm. like slightly whiter, maybe slightly orangey-ish or redder. Um, but, but it is a nice... Uh, it is just a nice wood for like, it doesn't have a lot of other like physical f characteristics to it. So yeah. it's pretty good for like lots of different uses. Hmm. Um, it also, I forget the word for this. I had this written down and I, I lost it, but it, something about the way that the, the, um, the cells are enclosed makes it very water resistant. Um, and so it's used at one of its actually main use, well, not main uses, but maybe more prominent uses is for making barrels. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, I think ton I think most um, French wine barrels are actually American white oak because France does not have as much oak as it ah. did, you know, pre, you know, pre-colonial New World. Yeah. And you know, f you know, the, uh, you know the story with European forests. You know, it's the, they've been yeah uh, used used for a very long time, and so some of those species are are less common. But we still have big areas of forest. I mean, we have problems with deforestation here too, mm. for sure. But it's just a big place, and so there's still lots of white oak. Yeah. And so I think, that, audience, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the majority of uh, oak barrels in France are American white oak barrels. Hmm. Another fun fact about barrel making is, um, you know, bourbon, the American whiskey drink bourbon? Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know this. I was looking this up today. And there's apparently a, a federal law that requires, it, for something to be called bourbon, it must be aged in new charred oak barrels oh, okay so, so it's i guess it was a way to keep the oak the barrel makers in business so yeah you can't make bourbon in you can't reuse a barrel um but because of that a lots of american oak barrels are shipped to scotland to age scotch in barrels that have once aged bourbon oh and other other spirits as well. There's this whole industry of like wow. taking apart American oak barrels that have once aged bourbon, <laughs> shipping them to age other beverages around the world. Also in the U.S., we age other beverages in uh, bourbon barrels. Yeah. <laughs> so if you ever see bourbon barrel aged on something, that's why. It's because the bourbon industry has to use new barrels every time, <laughs> which, which I found very interesting. Um, and then I haven't I haven't really gotten into why this plant is meaningful to me now. And, and there's probably lots more to say about white oak. Uh, and we can go on for a on, long time. Mm. But the thing I really want to talk about mostly why it's meaningful to me are acorns. Yeah. Um, which are so cool. I yeah. Mean, uh, I, I was actually just in Texas as a little bit of a side and there's all sorts of other oak trees there and they all have different kinds of acorns. And yeah. It's so cool that's... to see the different shapes and sizes and colors and everything. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine because I have only seen the, you know, the common oak acorn. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, so um, I, there's one there's one that uh, yeah maybe we'll come up another episode but just get a chance google burr oak acorn that is 
I think it's the biggest acorn in the world, and I found one in Texas, and it's like wow. massive. Uh, but anyway, the white oak, ac- the white oak acorn is a pretty like just classic looking. At least to me, it's mm. that's what an acorn looks like. I think it's because it's so common. Mm. Um, but I got interested a little while ago in the idea of processing acorns to eat them. Ah. Which is pretty interesting. I, I, I kind of got, I, I've heard about it years ago that you could do it. It took a lot of processing and hmm. sounded interesting to me. And I've read that, you know, uh, indigenous cultures kind of all around the world have hmm. done that for a long time. Um, you know, f- you know, all, oak is around the world and there is cultures of eating acorn flour around the world. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. But then a little while ago, I was on Instagram and there's, I don't know if you, do you follow um, Black Forager on Instagram? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, yeah, she she's great. Alexis Nicole Nelson is, is her name and hmm. she makes great videos about yeah. foraging. Yeah. And she had one about oak processing. I was like, I'm going to do that. So I, I finally, it was maybe about a year ago, I decided I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Hmm. Um, and it is quite an involved process. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about uh, acorn processing. Uh, no, no, no. I, tell me, tell me all about. Is there it. any? Is there any? Do you know if there's any like tradition of acorn harvesting in Sweden? Like, uh, good question. Uh, I have really no idea. Uh, actually. Yeah. So, uh, so, so the the problem with acorns. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat an acorn just off the ground. <laughs> Maybe when I was a kid, uh, yeah. I tried, you know, take the cap off or, or just try to, <laughs> like a squirrel or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't, and I don't know if about the common European oak that you have, but but the white oak is actually quite easy to peel as a nut. Like you can get to the nut meat fairly easily. Mm. Um, but if you try to bite it, it will make it feel like your face is going to fall off because mm. it's so bitter. Oh. Uh, that that's why people don't eat acorns is because... You, you can't if you tried to eat one you would like i mean first of all you would just not want to it's so unpleasant but if you ate enough to like get any nutrients you would probably like be so sick because it's uh, like so it has so uh, many tannins in it that's the problem is uh, tannins the same kinds of things that like give wine it's bitter quality but it just has a ton of them ah uh, um, yeah i understand yeah. and uh so so that's why so the the question is how do you get rid of those tannins so mm. you can eat, make it um, edible. And there's a, a few ways, but the main way is either a hot water process or a cold water process. Okay. And it basically is like soaking them either in boiling water for a long time or hmm. in many changes of cold water. Hmm. I decided to do the cold water method because I read that like you get, you keep more of like the nutrients. Um, mm. You know, If you boil it for a long time, boiling makes things break down. Hmm. So this is what I did. My it's a long, a long story. This is what I did, though. I collected a bunch of acorns, and there's some stuff. Well, let me think about how I want to say this. I think I'm going to explain how you should do it because I made a few mistakes that made my work a lot more difficult. Hmm. Um, so I'll explain what you should do. And, and, and yeah. uh, anyway, so I collected a bunch, and then what I should have done is let them dry first out, like like put them out on a table for a few days and let them dry in the sun. Hmm. Um, because that makes them way easier to crack. I didn't do that, so it took me a long time to get the the meats out ah. of all of them. Um, and then the next thing I should have done is basically put them all in a big towel, cover them up, and then just taken a brick or a hammer and just smash them to pieces <laughs> under the towel. Yeah. Um, instead of trying to break them one by one, uh, uh, you can just obliterate them yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the brick. And that's because after that, you can just dump the whole mess into a bucket of water and the uh, the shells will float to the top. Ah, okay. And you can just separate off the shells that way, and the nut ah, meats will fall on the bottom. Yeah, of course. And that's, since you're going to be soaking cool. them anyway in, in the water, 
to to leach out the tannins, it doesn't matter that you du- you're dunking them in water. Hmm. So okay. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't do that. I just I did them one at a time, which took forever. <laughs> and well, uh, especially because I didn't dry them first. Yeah, trial and error. Right? It's the best. It's your best friend. It, <laughs> indeed. So, and so then the next step. Oh, go, go ahead, please. No, uh, I'm just curious. Do you make some kind of uh, liquid from it, or uh, like how, how do you? So yeah. Eat th- it? Th- so then you you know you have these little nut meats, the little acorn meats. Um, and they're going to be broken all up in the method I described for you because you smashed mm. them with a brick. Um, mm. Then you take them and you put them in um, a blender mm. and you blend it not, you know, reasonably fine. And the reason you do this is the smaller the bits are, the more surface area there is exposed and the easier it will be to leach out the tannins. Mm. Okay. So you have this kind of like coarse flour of acorn oh. flour that is mixed with water. And I put that all into a big glass jar. Hmm. And then I left it on the counter for several hours. And I waited for all of that acorn uh, flour to settle in the bottom of the jar. And you want hmm. a big jar. So you, I, like, I want to have like, like the acorns filling up like a third of the jar and water being the rest. Okay. Yeah. Um, because then once the acorn stuff completely settles, I can pour off the top third or maybe as much as I can pour off of the water without losing any of the acorn material. Ah. Then you fill it with water again, shake it up really good, and let it settle again. And you you do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many yeah. times I finally did that to uh to 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 do that, but uh you have to do it a lot. And every time you can try it and you I kept giving little bits to my wife to be like, is your is that still bitter? And finally we got to the point where it wasn't bitter. Um but then that's when it was the coolest because then I had this, I had this flower, this acorn flower. But then one mm. thing I saw in in uh, Black Forager's Instagram is is uh, she also made acorn starch bacon. What? Oh my and god! I, I know. I was like, what? But then when I when I did this process, I realized that there was the flower, um, at the t- at the top, but a small thin layer at the very bottom of the jar was this very fine white powder. Ah, and that was the naturally separated acorn starch. Wow, which was uh, very and cool. And I was able to very easily pour off the hmm. the the acorn flour into a separate container and just keep this layer of acorn starch. Hmm. And what kind of flavor is it? Is it like well, the, the starch itself is just kind of like a corn starch. It's, yeah. it's pretty like it doesn't have. I mean, it's got a little bit of a different flavor i guess i would say but and i'll put the recipe in the show notes um that i Mm. followed from from black forger but basically you can make i made two i made two different mixtures like a slurries of the starch one that was just with salt and i think some Mm. onion powder and then one that had some soy sauce and some other stuff in it Mm. and then if you just pour the slurry into your hot skillet in strips Mm. on overlapping each other you'll have a white strip and a kind of reddish strip Oh, and a white okay. strip and a reddish strip. And when it cooks, it l- really looks a lot like bacon. I was very surprised. <laughs> wow. And I, I served some to some some friends at a party on, on tacos yeah. and they were all they were they were all very impressed and I, I was very impressed with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well well done. <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a long we're, process, but yeah. well worth it. and I meant to I meant to do acorns uh, this year, but I didn't get around to it. But next year I yeah. do acorns again. 
yeah, I I got really inspired. I like cooking myself, so maybe I should try with a <laughs> with a common oak and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, theoretically, I as far as I understand, you can do that with any acorn. I don't think there's any. Okay. Don't don't quote me on this audience or or, or Ben. <laughs> I I don't think any acorns are toxic once they've been leached. Um, mm. Different species have different levels of tannin, so that's another thing. I got lucky the first year was a uh, first year I tried this was a mast year for white oak. Uh, that's mm. actually one thing I meant to talk about. You, you that you know the term mast or for like fruit masting. Mm. Do, are you are you familiar with that term? Uh, I think I heard of it, but yeah, I heard of so, the word, but yeah, and but, I, uh, I don't I yeah. don't know the quite like terminology, um, but a. a a mast year for white oak is basically every few years, hmm. different species will have a mast year. And that means, it, so the year I did it, it was white oak. And that means every white oak tree around me produced just massive amounts of acorns all at once. Ah, yeah. But the other oak trees weren't doing that. The other oak trees had just like smaller amounts of acorns. Um, and that's this this uh, strategy that that a lot of plants use, uh, especially particularly nut bearing, but I think other fruits as well, where they will not produce a ton of nuts or in one in several years, but then one year just produced so many. And the idea is that you overwhelm the animals that are trying to eat your seeds, mm. so that some are going to make it and actually sprout. Mm. If you just put out a small number every year, the squirrels are just going to eat them all. Mm. But if you can just produce so much, yeah. Um, and that's a great year to shoot, you know, if you want to collect acorns, if it's a mast year for a particular species, those are mm. going to be the easiest ones to find. And I had, <laughs> I had a white oak was the year that I tried. And l- luckily for me, white oak is apparently one of the, the least tannin containing oak seeds, ah. uh, but it was still very tannic. So I, yeah. I might try again with a different one and see if my experience, I'm see if I should like uh, mm. soak them for way longer. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I just looked at the picture of the bur oak. It was nothing else i would never seen it as a oak <laughs> yeah you feel like a giant holding or you feel like a like you're a, a hobbit holding up yeah <laughs> yeah very big one yeah um, it's incredible yeah um well yeah that's that's my that's my story about white oak if you ever come over here and you go to a forest you will definitely see it wow perfect i i need to come to north america the u.s then. indeed you're you're welcome i'll give you i'll give you a forest tour we can try to identify some plants Cool. (laughs) Before the end of the show, I just wanted to pay respect to a specific white oak tree. And that tree was called the Y oak, which is W-Y-E is the name, uh, oak, not W-H-Y. It's called the Y oak because it grew in the town of Y Mills, Maryland, which is actually not too far from where I live. And the Y oak, according to Wikipedia, was the largest white oak tree in the United States from 1941 until its demise in 2002. Um, at its height, the Y oak tree was over 96 feet tall, that's 29 meters for those of you who use that measurement. So quite a big tree. There's some really awesome pictures of it you can find online. Um, but yes, unfortunately, in 2002, a big storm knocked it down and uh, it, you know, it, it completely fell over and, and, and died. But it was quite a magnificent oak tree. Um, I wish I could have seen it. It, it, fell over before I even moved to this area. But I think one interesting thing about trees and and this oak tree is that its legacy lives on. So one really cool thing is that the state of Maryland, when it fell over, uh, had a program to 
give pieces of the wood to artists from the state who turned the pieces of the Y-Oak into really cool, different kinds of art. And then also, they did propagate the Y-Oak. And there's several, uh, you know, young, essentially clones of the tree in other places, including they planted one within the trunk of the original Y-Oak. So there's a new oak growing in its same place that is essentially the same. You know, it is a daughter or son uh, however you refer to that for trees of the original and, you know, maybe in uh, about another 450 years, which is approximately how old the Y oak was, it will be as large and as mighty as uh, as its mother tree. So anyway, here's to the Y oak. Um, hope to go visit the offspring uh, someday. And thanks for listening to this episode of Rootbound. Love grows on white oak tree. Sugar floats like candy Top of the mountain shines like gold Where you kiss a young fellow so dandy Love grows on the white oak tree Sugar floats like candy Top of the mountain shines like gold And the money floats around you so handy Dream, 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 dream Under the white oak tree You dream, dream, sweet dream Enough for you and me Love grows on the white oak tree Sugar floats like candy Top of the mountain shines like gold And the money floats around you so handy My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Benjamin Alarcon. Ben is studying biology at the University of Umeå in Sweden, and he's really into botany and conservation. If you like Rootbound, you can help support the show by visiting rootboundpodcast.com support. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington, who hopes to see the forest for the trees. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, seek out a primary forest. Just hang out in there for a while. Watch out! They're pointy!